I'm excited to be with you today. Um, I'm excited about the Word of the Lord, and I'm excited to worship together in the Word and uh, and in music. Um, I got several passages I'd like to come from today, but if we could start and we will start actually, we'll flip over to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Um, and we will read verses, we'll read verse 11. Verse 11 says, and then we're going to flip over to the book of Nehemiah. Verse 11 says, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And then if we can flip over to the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, and then we'll dive over into Nehemiah chapter 2. Um, but Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4 says, And it came to pass when I heard these things, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then Nehemiah chapter 2, um, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18 says, And then I told them of the hand of the Lord of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me, and they said, let us rise up and build. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to us today, preach into our hearts and our lives. God, we want to be changed by you. We want to become more like you and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, in the book of Nehemiah, this story is, is one of uh, uh, the children of Israel were in captivity. Um, they had sinned against God, and God had warned them, and He had sent prophets and, and preached to them, and he'd, He had let them know, hey, you know, this is what's going to happen. And at a certain point in time, God said, it's happening. Your land is going to be destroyed. And you could go and, and, and you could uh, um, look and, and read the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, and you'll see the wickedness unfold, and um, and you'll see that, that finally God just lets them know it's going to happen. And Hezekiah, when he had repented and he sought God, and, and, and God let him know, okay, it's not going to happen in your generation, but it will happen in your, your, your offspring's generation. And, and we could read there how he, he said, okay, and he went and he just worshipped God. And, 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 and that passage actually bothers me a little bit because it was almost as if he was accepting of the fact that at least in his generation, life would be okay. And so I'd like to pause there for a minute and talk to just mention to you about the fact that your actions matter. And it's not okay for you to be God, to have God in your generation, but that your offspring to reap what you sowed in a negative sense. You want them to reap what you sowed in a positive sense. You want your work in the kingdom of God to build your children up, not for all of your work to be destroyed because you refuse to obey God in your generation. But the children of Israel were taken into captivity and, and the Assyrians came and, and Israel was captured. And then we see that eventually uh, uh, 
Judah was captured. And, and so after the Assyrians, it was the Medes and the Persians, and they came in and they captured Judah. And the city was ransacked, Jerusalem, the temple, the house of God. And so in Nehemiah, when we open up here, we see that a report has come to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he worked in the king's house. And he's there and, and he hears the report. And, and when he goes and he goes before the king, and he's going to do his job, the cupbearer. And when he goes before the king to do his, his job as the cupbearer, to, to, to make sure that the king is not um, poisoned, he's got heaviness on his heart. Why? Because he had heard a report. And that's the first thing I want to highlight to you today is to see the problem. See it for yourself. You see, the children of Israel were in captivity, and Nehemiah learned about how the city was ransacked. The walls were destroyed. Everything was torn down. Nehemiah was a man who lived for God. The children of Israel had lost their place of worship. They had lost their promised land. Everything, every expectation that they had about how this should have turned out. They were the chosen of Abraham. They thought, hey, this is what it's supposed to look like. But they had lost every bit of what they thought living for God should look like. Um, we talked here uh, just a while back. We had the, the committee up here, and we talked about uh, um, the oneness of God, and we talked about baptism in Jesus' name, and, and setting up here. Uh, um, we, we, and then Bishop preached, and he talked about the, the history of the oneness of God and, and, and unfolded it throughout the generations. And, and, and so we heard all that. But something that I found fascinating in, in my exploration of, of uh, the history and modern Pentecostal movement is that uh, uh, in earlier American history in the 1700s and in the 1800s, people had an expectation of what God should look like in America. And their expectation was wrong. They thought America would be this great city on a hill and that from here they would see the work of God built and spread out and this would be a pure place. And suddenly and they realized to many of them, hey, this, this, America's pretty decadent. This isn't happening. And they could have been and were even in some cases disillusioned about their expectation of what they thought God should look like and what church should look like. And this is the children of Israel. They said, hey, this is the promised land. We have Bible for that. This is the temple and it's where God is at and He always has brought us out. But their expectation of being brought out wasn't the way they thought it should be. And judgment came because of their sin. And so even though there were people that stayed faithful to God, it didn't mean that there wasn't judgment in this present world. And so sometimes you have an expectation of what church should look like. 
And I mean coming together in a building and, and living for it. You have an, an expectation. You have an expectation of, of what you think blessings should look like. I do too, by the way. You have an expectation of what you think your health should look like and, and what your finances should look like and how God should deal with your enemies and everything, what that should look like. And uh, um, Asaph, when he went to the house of the Lord, it, uh, we discover that he had an expectation before that of what he thought church should look like and what a person living for God, that they should be blessed. And he could go to Psalms chapter 1 and see them planted by the river water and, and how they, that they should prosper and and yet he was like, well, I'm not prospering. The wicked are prospering. How is this whole promises of God working out? And that's why when he went to the house of the Lord, he then understood their end. He's like, wait a second. I'm going to go through a struggle right now. But I've still got God. And those people that look like everything's going their way and they never have to worry, their end is destruction. So it is true, and I do need to stay in the Word. And we preach that to you, to return to the house of the Lord. We've preached to you um, about James and about Peter and how they let us know that we're going to go through struggle right now. But that there is an end to this, and stay faithful and stay true. And so we can learn that the children of Israel, there are many of them that when they lost their promise and they lost their place of worship, at least how they thought it should be, they discovered they had not lost their God. And so just because this doesn't look like the way you thought it should look, do not walk out on God. But go ahead and live for God in the land of captivity. Oh, when you are oppressed, live for God. When you've sinned and you've fallen down, get back up. Find a place. Fall down before God and repent and seek God's face. Don't be deceived and think that you do not need to repent. Because when there's sin, sin needs somebody to cry out and say we're sorry, oh God. Nehemiah, when he saw the walls, and, and, and he began to pray, and in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5, he says, And I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love Him and observed His commandments. Lend thy ear now and be attentive, and thy eyes be open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now, day and night for the children of Israel. Uh, and he says, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Daniel prayed these same prayers when he said, Hear, O God, hear and defer not. He, he was crying out and Daniel began to pray when he saw the judgments of God. And he prayed, and, and who would say that Daniel sinned? I mean, Bishop, you mentioned this morning in our meeting about how Daniel was in the lion's den staying faithful to God. But that's not the way that Daniel saw himself. And that's not the way Nehemiah saw it. Oh, but he looked out at the people. And you know what, what he saw of the children of Israel? He saw them as the people of God. Even though they weren't living as the people of God. And so if we could see this wall broken open right here and we could see out towards the east 
And if we could break out this side here and, and lift, be lifted up a bit and see out over the city to the west. And we could do that on all the walls to the north and to the south. I want you to see humanity as a people created in God's image that He intends to dwell in. And they are to be the people of God. Innumerable, without number. See them the way Nehemiah saw them. See them the way Daniel saw them. And when we can see their condition in their state, and we can then see ourselves, and we can pray and repent for them and for, and for ourselves, and say, hear us, oh God. See our condition. God that has mercy. Point number one, I want you to see it for yourself. See your family. See your children. See your parents, see your neighbors, see your friends, see your schools, see your schools. You say, well, I'm not in school. I don't have any kids now. I, what do you mean, see my school? Those are your schools. And then we talk about community, and, and I know you could go back and forth with political language of the day. It takes a village to raise and, and see where all that's gone and, and all those things. No, I'm telling you, this is your people. This is you, this world. We're God became flesh. Why? Because he said, those are my people. I want to save them. So see your city. See the problem. See within the churches. See the churches that have fallen by the wayside. Even see within your local assembly. And I don't want you just to look at each other and say, well, look at him. <laughs> He's, he doesn't live for God like he should at all. I'm not asking that way. But I am asking you to see, hey, See the sin that wants to invade and to eat and destroy. See the depression. See the, the heartache. See the struggle. And then make it your own. As you go before God and you intercede. So see it for yourself. And then, Nehemiah chapter 2. We see that he prayed. And the exciting thing here, Bishop, is, is that he had prayed and he sought God. And then you know what he did? He went back to his job. He was not in Israel. I wanted to say he went to work, but that's not the work I want to refer to. He saw it. Nehemiah was not a preacher. Nehemiah, at that point in time, he wasn't a pastor. He was working in the king's house. And yet he was moved to pray. He was burdened. And he went before God. He didn't say, well, you must not be our God because we're in this other land. He didn't say, well, you've, you've walked out on us. Where was the promises? You didn't take care of me. That was the fascinating thing to people when they saw the Israelites in captivity, is they saw a people who realized that God was still God, even in a strange land. And they still worshipped him, even when they had no walls to worship him in. And they didn't necessarily have somebody to gather them together. And, and, and it just wasn't all perfect. But they discovered that God is God, even when I'm at my lowest point. And so Nehemiah said, uh-uh, it's not time to walk out on God when things are at their worst. And, and it's not time to walk out on God, even when we've fallen underneath the, the terrible judgments of God. Not the good judgments, but the, the, the destructive ones, the punishments and and. Instead, I'm going to seek God. And you know what happened? The doors begin.
to open. Or if I could say, even a window. And he went before the king, and the king was like, wait a second, something's different about you. You, you seem upset. You seem bothered. And, and he was nervous, and he was afraid at that. And he was like, he was fearful. And yet he began to share. You see, when you begin to pray, when you begin to care, God has a door prepared for you. He has opportunity for you. I can tell you from personal testimony, my own self, that when I have sought God, when not very long, not within, within days I begin to see, within weeks, an opportunity. Uh, when I begin to pray for somebody, suddenly there would be an encounter, there would be an open door. Because God is moving on you, and He's pulling on you, and the message has come to you saying, hey, Nehemiah, I want you to see the condition. You, you thought, wait, wait a second, I begin to care, and then God was moved. No, God moved on you. You responded, and then He responded. And so Nehemiah, he saw that open door, and he didn't realize it was an open door. And he's like, he was fearful. But as he began to share, the king began to send him out. You know, we read King James, and then I start to talk King James. And I was like, can't I just turn it back into normal English? <laughs> but verse 6, it says, And the king said, chapter 2, verse 6, And the king said unto me, and I like how he notes, And the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to, set, to send me, and I set him a time. He was sent there is a door. There is a door. Sister Nancy, I appreciate you being our prayer coordinator for, for uh, uh, leading the church in that, in that area. Um, you know, and, and I think about the different times, and you'd come and you'd say, hey, you know, I'd like to do something, anything that you would have. And, and, of course, we have a variety of opportunities around here. But yet God had moved on you in a place calling you to prayer and and since that, both for yourself and for others, you've seen so many prayers answered in your own life, in your family, and, and you, we've now seen them throughout the church. And there's a couple of individuals, and I won't call you out by name today like I did Sister Nancy, but, but you've, you've sought for jobs, and as you begin to seek God and say, I need a job... A word came. Maybe, a, maybe somebody handed you a piece of paper and, and you now have jobs. Uh, um, there's those of you sitting out here today that, that have loved ones that you sought God for and, and you were even in this church and you maybe even set a chair out for them and you said, God, I need you to move. And when you begin to pray within, within a noticeable window of time, you saw God move. Why? God began to press on your heart. You begin to be under the burden. And you begin to pray. And God answered your prayers. Why? Because it's time. It's time. Mm. Oh, I could talk a little bit about when you don't think it's the season and you don't think it's time. Oh, but you begin to go to God and you begin to implore upon Him. You're going to discover two things. Even when it seems like it's out of season there's still a season. <laughs> oh, Mary, when she came to Jesus and she said, hey, they don't have any wine at the wedding. And, and He's like, hey, what, what are you doing? It's, it's not time. And she's like, whatever He says to do, I want you to do it. 
And Jesus' ministry began to unfold. Oh, we're going to read a scripture here. But the fields are already ripe. And, and you think it's four months, but they're ripe and ready to harvest. The fields are before you. Somebody's already done a work. And it's time for you to get out there and to begin to reap. You look at your situation and problem and you think, well, it's not time yet. Go to God. See what will happen. Go to God. There is a door. There is a door. So Nehemiah, he set out on his journey. And we're not going to travel completely through the book of Nehemiah today. We're just doing chapters 1 and 2. But he set out on his journey. And he arrives. In verse 13, it says, chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, to the dung port, and viewed all the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates of there were consumed with fire. As he, he unfolds here, and I'm not going to read every verse, but as he unfolds, he talks about how he couldn't get his horse past, how everything was destroyed, and he paints a vivid picture for us of, of what he saw. If you were a single individual, and yeah, you've been given authority by the king, the most powerful person in the world at that time, you could say, and, and he'd given you authority, but yet, you don't have armies riding behind you. You don't have thousands of people following behind you. He's just like, all right, you got my backing, you can go. I'm going to give you resources, but you head out. And now he shows up alone, a place nobody knows. He's out there now. And he feels all alone. And he begins to walk around and to survey and to see the problem and the condition. And, and it's like hearing the call that I just put out about, hey, let's look over Omaha here and let's look over Omaha there and there and look at your families and look at your friends and look at the situation. And I tell you, it weighs in. Some of you don't even need to open the doors and look. It's just poured in your family. Brother Jeremy, it literally poured into your house. His pipe broke. The ceiling began to, to come in. We had a not similar leak. Ours was much more minor. But oh, I can tell you that my wife, when she started to see water drip from the ceiling, was like, oh no, do you know what just happened to the coals? And she could see like a waterfall suddenly coming down. It wasn't that. <laughs> the end was in sight for us, but we still have a hole in our ceiling that I haven't repaired yet. Um, but, but problems ring in, and it comes in, and you see it, and you look at the condition, and, and you see the situation, and, and it can feel overwhelming. It can feel overwhelming. But I want you to hear today, the problem is not a problem. Because when Nehemiah began to walk around that place, and he saw the condition, he didn't say, wow, what did I get myself into? You know, I got a job back home. I serve the king. I think it's time to go back in and if I could say this back into the church house, and I do want you to return to church, by the way. But he could have said, you know, I had it pretty good back there. You see, working in the king's house was like being on the mountaintop. You're up here. You're with the king. But the work that Nehemiah needed to do, he couldn't do back in the king's house. He had to go 
And when he began to walk around all that, that, the, the city there, and he saw the destruction, and it was overwhelming, and, and, and everything was there, he could have walked away. This is where I want to hear you. See, Nehemiah serves two purposes for me today. One, I told you Nehemiah wasn't a preacher. Nehemiah worked in the king's house. He had a normal job. And that's where I want to identify each and every one of us. Chappelle, you go out and you work in a job. And I know we're all like, she's first lady. She's pastoral team. She's, her and her husband came from Maine and there, there are... There are pastors, and, but yet when she goes out up there, she's an employee, she works a job, and she encounters her world. Brother Chris, you go and you work on transmissions, and you're out on a job. You're in your environment, and you're in that world, and you see the conditions, and it comes in, and, and, and Brother Keith, you're out there on a job. Brother Josh, you're out on a job. And you're doing your work. Brother Terry, you're out there and, and, and you're in the stores and you're in, uh, and you're in Blair and you're in the conditions of the world. And yet you can see the condition and you can go to God in prayer. Oh, Alicia, in the schools there, you see the situations and you see the problems and you see the children, but you have God. And I told you just a while back that there was a, a situation and a condition and, and we began to pray that morning before she went out. She's like, I'm going to be the only one in the office. And at noon I got a text that said, no problems happened today. Everything was peaceful. All week it hadn't been peaceful. It had been chaotic. It had been crazy. But she went to God in prayer. And you can walk the hallways of that school and everything can be looked like a broken down wall and a boulder here. And you can think, why am I even in these places? What am I doing here at this job? But we can go to God in prayer. And so Nehemiah, he surveyed it. And the problem isn't a problem. If I could say this, it's merely a task. It's merely a task. But after he saw everything, he, he then went and, he, and he, um, he said he hadn't told them yet. He says, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. He hadn't unfolded, unfolded it. But then it says, then I said unto them, you see to the stress that we are in. You know what happened? People were already living in the mess. You see to the distress that I'm in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. And then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and, all, and as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And this is where I could flip the script just a little bit. This can be you, and this can be your bishop. This could be myself today, standing as Nehemiah, saying, here's the condition. Here's the situation. But let me tell you about God. This is what God's doing. This is the work. This is where we're going. This is the vision. 
This is what I see happening. So you can, on your job and in your family and in your neighborhood, you can begin to see the vision. But, just, but also in this church, we stand up in front of you and we cast a vision and we say, hey, here's where we're going. Here's what God is doing. And, and, and this year, last year it was others and this year it's daily. And, and we're saying God is going to be in the home here and God's going to work here and, and we're going to press daily and we're going to serve Him daily. And, and daily He's going to multiply and see the vision and see what's happening. And so Nehemiah was performing that work now of leadership. But this is where we come back in as a group. Because Nehemiah really couldn't make anything happen by himself. And I don't want to diminish the value of leadership and that God's given us. But I by myself am not going to reach every person in this city. You by yourself aren't going to make all of this happen. Moses by himself could not get the children of Israel into the promised land. It didn't matter how many miracles that he performed in front of, the, uh, in front of Pharaoh. It didn't matter that he hit the river and it turned red. It didn't matter that frogs came out. It didn't matter that lice came. It didn't matter that hailstones fell. It didn't matter that he raised the rod and the Red Sea parted. Because if the children of Israel had not gone to their neighbors and collected all the gold and the silver, if the children of Israel hadn't put their foot out there, if they'd said, hold on, hold on. Brother Keith, if they'd said, look at those walls of water. (laughs) You think I'm going to go out there? How long is God going to hold that wall of water back? No! If they hadn't walked across that Red Sea... And sadly, the children of Israel were in the, in the desert. And you know what happened? After everything that God had done, they refused to see that He could deliver them from the giants. And so no matter how great a leader that Moses was, it took the people to enter into the land. Moses walking into the promised land really wasn't Israel receiving the promise. Joshua and Caleb going in and saying, we can do this, wasn't enough. It took the people to go into the promise. It takes the church. It takes the body. It takes each and every one of us. It's intended to be us as followers of Christ to go in and see the the promise and to seize the promise. Church leadership isn't the ones that seize the promise. They just are here to provide you vision. We're here to say, hey, this is what God's saying. And and we're here to help unfold Scripture and to, to give you guidance and direction. We could turn over to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And I have the New King James Version here. I think it brings out verse 12 just a little bit better so that you could see it. But here he's describing what we often call the five-fold ministry. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. And we could dissect that different ways and put pastors and teachers together and call it the four-fold ministry. But that's not the point today. 
First off, when we talk about the fivefold ministry, Paul here refers to him, talks about how he gave gifts to men. And I've told you many different times. But if I take my children, Finn just had a birthday. We gave him some presents. Now, which do you think I find more important? The present or Finn? Well, duh. <laughs> if I said the other way around, or if I even closely valued the present close to Finn, to be honest with you, I hardly value that present at all. If it got broke, if it got destroyed, it would mean nothing to me. You know, we got him a bike. If he left his bike out in a circle and a car ran over it, I still have Finn. I'm like, Finn, he'd be like, but my bike. I'm like, don't worry about the present. I'm not wanting to diminish leadership. I don't want to diminish apostles, preachers, evangelists. I'm not here to do that. They're an important thing. But it says he gave gifts unto men. God values you. He wants you. And he's saying, I'm getting you to heaven. And you're the body of Christ. And you're the royal priesthood. You're the people he called out. You're the ones that follow after him. And he's the ultimate head. And we're here to minister to you. So let's go back to this verse. Because I'd like to go ahead and tell you, instead of saying the five-fold ministry, what about the six-fold ministry? It says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The New King James is very clear. It says, for the equipping of saints of the saints for the work of the ministry. The saints for ministry. But you're like, wait, that's the fivefold ministry. I, I got my apostle and I have my prophet and I have my evangelist and I have my pastor and I have my teacher and, and I sit back here and I say, oh, look at the ministry up there. We're so thankful for the ministry. But it, what about the ministry of the saints? The ministry of the saints. Your ministry. And this ministry is here to equip you for ministry. And so Nehemiah here, when he told him of the condition and he told him of the, the situation, and he told him, well, here's what God said and here's what God's worked out and here's what we have in front of us, it would have gone no further unless the saints, unless the people said, aha, I've been living in my situation. I've been living in the middle of this problem. I've been living in this circumstance. But God has given us a word. Can we go ahead and give Him a hand clap? God's brought to us a preacher. He's given us a word so we can see hope now. And we're no longer going to be satisfied with our problem. And they said, let's rise up and build. Oh, let's give Him a hand clap. Let's rise up. Let's build. Oh, let's rise up. Let's build. Oh, I'm tired of living in the middle of my mess. I'm tired of seeing people snatched away. I'm tired of seeing drugs and alcohol and, and, and a demonic world and a decadent world tear people's lives up. I'm tired of seeing depression. I'm tired of seeing people with no purpose and no hope. Let's rise up and build. I'm here to build. And now I can see I'm a part of this. And I can go ahead and I can get a trowel in my hand. And I can get me a rock. 
and I can move some stones out of the way. You know what? Brother Terry, you're not going to clear the whole city by yourself. And maybe that boulder by, it, by yourself is way too much. But I can get up a stone and I can set it over here. If you drive north up into Minnesota, you're driving and you pass some fields, you get up in North Dakota, you know what you'll discover? Piles and piles of rocks and sometimes walls of rocks. Why? Because there's a lot of rock in that soil. And yet there's some farmers up there over the years, generation after generation, that come along and they're plowing the field and there's a rock. And you know what they do? They pick it up. And if it's too big for them, they get on it with some horses or they got on now with a tractor, right? We don't have horses to do that anymore. Or you get somebody with you and you get those things out of the way and you begin to build up. That rock pile didn't get there overnight. It was a stone at a time and it was a person at a time. And it was another person at a time. And they're building it and they're pushing, putting it there. And they're, they're, they're doing the work. It takes us together. So, Brother Terry, maybe that other rock's a little, a little bigger. We hauled a desk out of my office on Wednesday night. It's a little bit of a hefty desk. And, and there were multiple people involved with getting that desk out. Two people through the doorway. Three people or to get it, three to four people getting it on the truck and, and then different people downstairs bringing it through the doorway. And now I don't know if it's gone yet to, to Sister Powell's offices that she's setting up, but uh, it's going to get over there and somebody's going to offload it. There's a lot of people involved for a desk. That's an expensive desk. Um, yeah, let's not add up their labor hours. <laughs> um, but it takes a lot of people. You're not doing this alone. And it's not going to happen merely because a man of God gets up and says, let's build the wall. But it's when the people say, let's rise up and build the wall. Vision is important. Bishop, I don't want to diminish vision. But vision, that the, the church is not about vision. And you're going to be like, well, hold on a second. No. The vision gets us going. The church then is about work. If all of us just stood around and espoused vision, and we all said, I see a vision, let me tell you about the vision. Let me tell you about the vision. And I'm, please, I'm not making mockery of vision. But Brother Terry, we have to get out and do the work yeah. of the vision. We got to go talk to our neighbor. We got to pray. We, we know that God's here to save and, and, and God gave us leadership and He gave us a, a bishop over here and He's been saying, hey, we're going to plant churches everywhere. But you know what a planted church means? It means here's a person saying, I love you, Jesus. And here's a person saying, I love you, Jesus. And bishop stands up and he says, he's going to heal and he's going to fill with the Holy Ghost. But you know what it looks like, Sister Nancy? It's when you come up beside somebody and you say, I know that you're going through a struggle, but Jesus loves you. And I'm going to pray with you today. And he's going to move in your life. And so the vision said, God will do this. But you said, hey, Jesus loves you. And Jesus fills them with his spirit. And you go to somebody on the job. And, and you meet somebody in Walmart. And you say, hey, Jesus loves you. You're their friend. And suddenly, there's one stone moved. And another stone moved. And we're building a wall. And, and you go to somebody. And you say, you know what? You think God will walked out on you because you walked out on him. Now, Josh, I'm, please don't read into his life, okay? Um, 
but Jesus loves you and he's not walked out on you and you are here because he's going to rebuild your life. Oh, let's give him a hand clap. And then, what do we see at the end of Nehemiah chapter 2? It says, but when Sanballat and the Hornite and um, Tobiah and the servant of the Amorite and Gisham and the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn. You know, people who have obnoxious attitudes and say things in a really sharp, sort of nasally, condescending way are intimidating. You go to do something, you're like, hey, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Bunch of stupids out there. Who do you think you are? Really, my idea was stupid? Don't listen to them. They don't have vision. They want the mess. They don't see the problem. And even if they do, they're not invested in the problem. So unless God changes their heart, and, and, and I'm speaking to people, and I don't, want, I don't want to speak so terribly of just individuals, but I am talking about the enemy of our souls and people who are anti-God. But you keep pressing forward and don't let that wear you down because there will be an attack. There will be an attack. But Jesus, speaking of the Antichrist spirits, he said in, in John, um, he, he said in John chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus didn't, told us that he didn't take us out of the world, but he prayed for us even though we're in the world. You're going to be attacked. But I would rather go through struggle with Jesus, doing his work, than struggling without him. You know what this world suffers from? They lack purpose. They see their struggle and they see the end of it, and they make up purpose. They make up purpose. Why do you see even all the sorts of, uh, of uh, change this? and, and, and uh, I, gotta, I better be careful today. But there's a whole lot of gender stuff out there. And there's a lot of sympathetic people out there who are bringing bad solutions to the table and making up problems and, and making up damaging, life-damaging, quote, apparent solutions that are destructive. When what people need is God. And, and, and Sister Powell, I'm not diminishing uh, mental health care, but the nation is exploding with it. Why? Because first and foremost, they need a Savior to come in and free them of the gunk and let them know that they don't have to live in shame and they don't have to beat themselves up. The Apostle Paul, look at him. He had worked against God. He could have beat himself up the rest of his life, but he got to live free of that burden as he saved people. You know what happens when the Apostle Paul sees everybody in heaven? The people that were martyred because of his hard work are going to be like, you made it, Paul. You're here. You made it. That's the work of Jesus and the mercy that he provides through the church. Provides the church the... Fields are ripe and they're ready to harvest. Jesus in John chapter 4 verse 34, he says, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me to finish his work. 
I read that, you know what I thought? What's my purpose? To do the will of him that sent me. To finish his work. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross and he paid the price. And then in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all filled with his spirit. And what happened? From that moment on, they began to carry out Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where he had commissioned them. You see, they wanted to know what the end was going to look like. But he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost. Or the Spirit of Jesus Christ has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. He said, I'm sending you out. And so I titled today's message, Come Down. It's time to build. It's time to build. Why did I title that? And uh, I'm running out of time today. But see, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples were up on the mountain with Jesus. And Jesus was giving them instruction. I just read some of it. And we started out with the verse that says, Why, ye men of Galilee, I stand you gazing up into heaven. See, Jesus was standing on the mountain with them, and he gave them instruction. And they seen him to begin to float away. And they're like, I totally get that. They'd never seen anybody float away before. <laughs> I'd, I'd be there too. I'd be like, ah. And angels were like, dude, why are you staring up into heaven? Because angels really weren't a mesmerizing thing at that point. You, you see him? There he goes. And they were like, why are you staring up into heaven? He's going to come back. You know what they needed to do? They needed to come down and take the next step in the journey. And for them, the next step was to go to the upper room. But now the upper room became like another mountaintop experience. The Holy Ghost was poured out. They received it. It was great. They poured out into the streets. And, and, and that day, 3,000 souls were added, right? And, and they heard the preaching. And you're like, we're here. But what did Jesus tell them to do? But, go, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. So we had to get off this mountain to come down here so we could begin to build the church. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. This thing couldn't remain in Jerusalem. And we talk about Azusa Street. But we were never meant to just live at Azusa Street. Or just live in the upper room. And God filled you with the Holy Ghost. But if you only hang out here, this will be the limits of your experience. And one day you will find that something's missing. Why? Because in Judea and in Samaria, the next region, and to the uttermost part, you have got to go out. This thing was meant to be lived on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus glorified, but they had to come down so that the work of God could be done. It is not meant for us to just say, wow, I had a great time around the altar, but you begin to carry Jesus with you and somebody else experiences Him and somebody else, and hear me, it's a floodgate that opens like this and you begin to see Jesus in an unlimited way. And that same imagery right there is the church. Because up here, you have what we call the fivefold ministry. And then as we go out like this, we have the ministry of the saints. It's time to build. It's time 
to build. He's calling us to build. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter first preached the message of Pentecost, he told them out of the prophet Joel, he said, It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. Upon all flesh. You are the church. You are the ones that's called. Could we go ahead and stand to our feet? And they said, let us rise up and build. This vision only remains a vision unless you go out and build. Who's going to rise up with me today? Who's going to come down and build? Nehemiah could have stayed in the king's house on his mountaintop experience. and said, oh, it's great to live by this king. But King Jesus is in the field and he's calling you and you can walk beside him and it's time to build. Who's going to build with me? Who's going to build with me? This work is carried out by you, the ministry of the saints. Come down and let's build. I want to go ahead and pray over you today. If everybody could close their eyes. Lord Jesus, you see this church. Lord, we commission this church in the name of Jesus to go out and build your kingdom. Oh God, in every corner, Lord, of this city, and as it stretches out beyond this city, Lord, in their families, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, and on their jobs. And God, as they begin to share this gospel, others will join them and will join hand in hand, and churches will be planted, and and home groups will be planted, and Bible studies as they unfold, and backsliders will come in. Lord Jesus, people will be healed, people will be delivered, healings will occur in this house even today oh God and those healings will go out and the church the ministry of the saints will pray over others and they'll recover and their eyes will be opened their hearts will be changed and we send them out in the name of Jesus every sin is forgiven oh God and your work is done and deliverance and hope and the infilling of your spirit and everybody say in the name of Jesus hallelujah go ahead give him worship give him thanksgiving hallelujah you are holy, O God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's come down. Let us build. Let's echo like the people and say, let us rise up and build. See the problem. There's a door. Hallelujah. And the problem's not the problem. But God's going to overcome. In the name of Jesus. Come back in 10 minutes and we'll worship together.